Jesus mean to me? That is a, a big question. So when I was eight years old, I became a Christian and asked Jesus in my life. And my parents raised me in a church, and so I've worshiped since I could walk. As I got older and older, I began to join the choir, a choir member at, at FBC. And that's a huge piece of how I worship. And I love that aspect and being able to sing praise to God and just see how God works through the lyrics that we sing and the songs that we choose. And He truly moves my heart. When tough times come, all those lyrics and all of those tunes come back to me. So many of you know our family and you know that our son Crawford has gone through many um, surgeries and had some challenges medically and so when those things were happening and we were in tough places and didn't know exactly how things would turn out in your heart you're like there's no logical reason to be joyful but you think of I need to stop and worship God and thank God for where we are and the blessings we do have and get my heart in the right place I think one of the biggest things and most helpful parts to me would be just coming and showing up for worship. You know, the blessing of that is you have other people around you who are strong in your faith and you build those bonds. And no matter where you are spiritually, God will use something and speak to you in some way that day if you're open to Him. It might be through the music, it might be through the sermon that Will preaches, it might be through just a nice thing that somebody in the congregation says to you. But all those pieces are parts of worship that can be used to bless you that you won't expect and something will come out. I call it a holy moment. I just say, give that a chance, you know, and really engage in that and take that chance on, on worship. I think it's worth it. Well, good morning, my friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And in just a moment, we are going to read verses 32 through 40. I want to remind you that at the conclusion of our sermon, we are going to take communion together. So as Melissa mentioned at the beginning of our service, uh, if you need to hit pause, go and get your cup, go and get your bread and then come back and join us when you've got that ready. Uh, as you saw the video from Rhoda just a moment ago, today we are going to be talking about worship as we continue on in our series where we're talking about the habits and rhythms we can engage in in our lives so that we might live in, in the richest, fullest sense. We today are talking about worship. Last week was prayer. The week before that was how do we read the Bible. And so if you miss those, you can go on our podcast and catch up. But today we talk about worship. And for some of you, you might be tuning in for the first time, or maybe you are watching and you're not real sure about the Jesus thing and worship. You're like, no, that's not really for me. I want to encourage you, stick around for a minute, because what I'm about to say, I think, is going to have more impact for you and your life than you might think it does on the surface when you hear that word. But it is always right for us to begin by reading together from the story of God and God's people. And so Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, and I'll begin reading now. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they got together in a group. One of them, a lawyer, put him on the spot with a question. Teacher, he said, what is the most important commandment in the law? You must love the Lord your God, replied Jesus, with all your heart, with all your life, with all your mind. This is the first commandment, 
and it's the one that really matters. The second is similar, and it's this. You must love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law hangs on these two commandments, and that goes for the prophets too. So worship, we're talking about worship. And as I said, for some of you tuning in today, like you're thinking worship has nothing to do with me. And if, and if you're not a Christian tuning in, worship is one of those words that you just don't hear that often. It's kind of outside of your common vocabulary. And I get it. So, so stick around because as I said, I think there's more to what I'm about to say than you might initially think on the surface. But the fact of the matter is, worship as a word, worship as a description of something we do, has actually fallen out of favor even in church life. Like, I know a number of churches that in their efforts to be kind of sensitive to uh, non-Christians, what they have done is they have started describing Sunday morning, not necessarily as going to church, because you need to remember we don't go to church, we are the church, but they don't even say, let's join us for worship. Because worship, again, is one of those words we don't really use. And so there are some churches that in their attempts to kind of meet people where they are, and I totally get this, they are beginning to say, hey, come and join us for our weekend experience. Why don't you come and take part in our Sunday gatherings? And so we've removed the word worship and we've replaced it with experience. We remove the word worship and replace it with gathering. Because worship is just one of those words that while it used to be common, now it's strange. And I totally understand where those churches are coming from. And I totally understand if it's not a word you're familiar with. But, but, and I think this is the most important thing. I think worship is a word that we don't need to get rid of. Worship is a word that in fact describes something that is fundamental to the human condition. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning, about how worship can have the ability to help us live into the fullness of who God has created us to be, how worship can help us live our best life here in 2022. And so I, I want to start, guys, by making a pretty shocking claim. I want to start by making a claim, and this is going to be true if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, if you're Buddhist, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, this is going to be a true statement for absolutely everyone. Even if you think like, I don't even know where I am on the spectrum of faith in my relationship to God or the lack thereof. I'm going to make a claim, then I'm going to tell you why I think it's true. And this is what I want you to know, friends, that we all, absolutely every single one of us, we all worship. We all worship something. And so as we begin, I want to say to you that the real question as we embark on this journey today is the question is not if you worship, but the question really is what do you worship? The question is not if you worship something, but the question instead is what you worship. Now let's take a few moments and unpack that statement. Because worship is a religious word, and I get it. It's an ancient word. But if we could translate it into kind of modern vernacular, to worship something is essentially to love something as the ultimate. 
Now that's a different thing than saying, I love guacamole. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the love you might have for the Atlanta Braves. I'm not talking about those kind of smaller scale, lower L loves. No, to worship something, which we all do, is to hold a something or a someone in a place of ultimate devotion. What is the thing around which you orient your life? Every single one of us, in one way or another, fixes our life around kind of a north point, a true north compass. The thing that we hold up as the most beautiful, as the most profound, the thing that helps us make sense of our life and if we are living well, to worship something is to love as ultimate. And absolutely every single one of us worships something. And so the question is not if you worship. We all worship. The question is what do you worship? And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more later on, but I know a lot of people who worship success. I know a lot of people who worship beauty. I know a whole lot of people who worship power. And ultimately, friends, if we want to live in the way that Jesus teaches us, we have to understand that we begin we begin our journey in faith by properly worshiping one thing and one thing alone. And that, my friends, is God. Worship of God was absolutely central to the life of Jesus. Why do we worship? Well, first and foremost, what I would say to you as followers of Jesus is that we worship because he worshiped. Worship was absolutely central to his life. If you go back into the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, one of those stories of Jesus, he's just beginning his ministry. And in Luke chapter 4, we read that on a Saturday morning, Jesus, and it says, as was his custom, goes to the synagogue on Sunday morning so that he might worship in his community. Now, his custom is one of those words that just like, what? Who uses that kind of language? Who talks like that? That's maybe how your King James Version puts it. But one of my favorite translations says it like this, that on the Sabbath, as was his regular practice, as was his rhythm, as was his habit. You see, Jesus understood the centrality of orienting your life around the thing that we hold as ultimate. And so every single week with others who believed in the God of Israel, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his rhythm, as was his habit, and he worshiped. You see, there's this other moment, and it's a little later on. I read it to you just a few moments ago from Matthew's gospel. When there's this religious leader and he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. What do I need to do to inherit the life of the age to come? In essence, what is, he says, what do I need to do in order to live into the fullness of who God has created me to be? What do I need to do in order to live my best existence? Yes, that's exactly what he's talking about here and now. And I love, I absolutely love what Jesus says. Jesus looks at this religious leader and he uses exactly this language. He says, the first and the greatest commandment is this, 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your understanding. To love, not just with your mind, but to love with your heart, to love with your being, to love something as ultimate in your life. So in essence, what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying is, if you want to live into the fullness of who God created you to be, then the first and most fundamental step you must make is to love as ultimate or to worship God. That was central to the understanding of Jesus. And from the earliest beginnings of the church, what do we read in the book of Acts? But each and every week and every single day even, the early church gathered together to break bread, to hear the apostles' teachings, and to read Scripture and to pray together. In other words, they would worship, putting God as first and central in their life. And y'all, the fact of the matter is, that is true of the early church. It is true of Jesus. And it is even true going back into the Old Testament. I want you to go back to even the primal story of the Hebrew people. Go back into the book of Exodus. And you know the story, and if you don't, I'll give you a quick recap that uh, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they were slaves in this, in this country, Egypt. And they really wanted to go free. They were miserable. They had been slaves. And yet God had made them this promise that, that they were going to be his chosen people. And yet they were experiencing oppression under the thumb of the ruthless Pharaoh. And God calls this man, Moses, to go to Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt, and to say to Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. Some of you know the story and some of you don't. Some of you have heard the song, right? It's that old spiritual, let my people go. And it's a great song. But, but here's the thing we forget, that God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that it is time to let my chosen people, Israel, leave slavery and go into freedom. And we normally stop at let my people go. But the fact of the matter is God says, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. The people of Israel left slavery and went into freedom, not so they could be the global economic superpower of the day. They left slavery and moved into freedom, not so they could experience life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No, fundamental to the character of the people of God from our earliest beginnings, and this is so important for us to understand, is that they moved from slavery into freedom for one fundamental purpose, so they could worship. So they collectively as a people could hold up God as the ultimate source of being so that they could celebrate him, so they could love him, so they could be his people in this world. Let my people go so that they can worship. It was central to the people of Israel. Worship is central to the early church, and worship is central to Jesus, who we celebrate as the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. 
See, guys, you got to know something. That Jesus accentuated worship as central to our existence because this is the thing that Jesus 100% understood. And I want us to understand it as well. And I'm going to make another claim, and I think you're going to believe me. I think you're going to be with me on this. But the reason Jesus understood the centrality of worship as holding up something as ultimate and worthy of your love is because of this. Ultimately, friends, you become like the thing that you worship. Jesus knew it. Jesus understood it. The Israelites knew it, and the Israelites understood it. And that is why worship is so important, because what you worship, friends, ultimately you become like that thing. And there's a great writer that I love. His name is David Foster Wallace. He, he died about a decade ago. And David Foster Wallace is a postmodern writer, one of the greatest of the generations. And uh, if you are interested in reading some of his stuff, I encourage you start with Infinite Jest. It's an incredible novel. And David Foster Wallace was an atheist. And yet there was this moment in 2005 when David Foster Wallace went and he gave a commencement speech, a graduation speech at a place called Kenyon College. And in the midst of his speech, which I really think you should YouTube, it will be uh, some of the best 15 minutes of your day. YouTube it this afternoon. He makes this incredible claim, an atheist writer talking to a group of 20-somethings that the majority of whom probably are not followers of Jesus and him giving advice for how they live their lives moving forward and entering firmly into adulthood has this to say in his speech, this is water. I want to read it to you. Wallace says this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some intangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million different deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you'll feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. If you worship intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. In the day-to-day -day trenches of everyday life, there is no such thing as atheism, Foster Wallace says. We all worship something and you become like that which you worship. And I know far too many people who hold up money as the paragon of virtue in their lives, and they end up greedy and angry and alone. I know far too many people who worship beauty as the standard upon which they build their lives, and ultimately, friends, it fades, and they are miserable. 
I know people who worship their family who hold that up as the thing that is worthy of their ultimate significance and love, but then they move away or they die and they are left a shell of who they were. Pretty much everything else, David Foster Wallace says, will eat you alive. David Foster Wallace knew that to be a truth. But even more important for us, Jesus knows that that is a truth. We all worship something and ultimately we become like the thing that we love the most in this world. So the question is, what do you worship? And for those of us who call Jesus Lord, ultimately we worship God. We worship Him. And I want to talk shifting gears for just a few minutes about why. Why do we worship Him? And there are about 10 million different reasons that I could lay out for you this morning, but I really want to focus just on two things. The first reason that we worship God, that we give Him our ultimate love and ultimate allegiance. The reason we worship is because first and foremost, He's the Creator. Look around at all the beauty that is around you as you go throughout your day. Look out at the ocean or the mountains. Look at the tiny butterfly as it flies around in your yard. Look at the smile on the face of your child. It is a gift from the God who created the universe and said, it is good. We worship God because he is the one who formed all that is, who spoke a word and it came into existence. In the Bible, there's this book called the Psalms. It's 150 songs and prayers and the majority of them are celebrations of who God is. And most of them have some note of how we worship God because of what he has done throughout the whole of the cosmos. And so we worship God in part because we're here. We worship God because this life we have been given is an incredible gift. It is good. And so we give thanks. We give allegiance. We give worship to God who is the creator of all things. But I want to go even further than that. And ultimately, for those of us who are Christians, the reason that we worship God is because of Jesus. We worship God because of Jesus, because in Jesus, we believe that God took on flesh and came among us. In Jesus, we believe that God loved us so much that he was willing to die for our sins. What we believe is that because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. We can be reconciled to each other. We worship God because God raised Jesus from the dead. Ultimately, friends, that is why we worship. Because if God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father where Jesus is currently right now in this moment ruling over all things, then friends, he is worth our adoration. He is worth our love. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, then we believe that everything is beginning to shift. One of the writers of the New Testament, Paul, says that because Jesus is alive, because Jesus is resurrected, God is now in the process of renewing and restoring and redeeming and recreating all things up to and including you. 
And if God has raised Jesus from the dead, then friends, we need nothing more than to shout it from the rooftops. We worship God because of Jesus. And friends, listen to me. I know a lot of people who get really excited because a football team won a title or a baseball team won a championship. And friends, that pales in comparison. If you are willing to drive thousands of miles and spend hundreds of or thousands of dollars to go see a team or join in a celebration, I know grown men that wept for the first time in 20 years when the University of Georgia won the national title. And my friends, listen to me. If you are willing to weep at that, but you are not willing to celebrate and worship the God who raised Jesus from the dead, then you need to check your priorities. I hope that I'm stepping on some of your toes this morning because I am, in fact, stepping on my own. Worship creates something inside of us. We begin to look and become like that which we worship. And the reason that we worship God, the reason that we worship Jesus is because we want to be more like him. Because we want to grow into the full measure of who God has created us to be. And by centering our lives on him, on his resurrection, on his grace and his love, then friends, we can become people who are filled with goodness and graciousness, hope and joy. We become like that which we worship. And so we worship Jesus as the full expression of what God intended for this world. Why do we worship? Well, that's why. Very quickly, I'm going to go at about 5,000 miles an hour here. How do we worship? Because some of us, you've been in church every single Sunday, and you're like, yeah, Will, I mean, I come into this place, but how do I worship? And here's what I would say to you, two ways in particular, and this is totally not the full expanse, but I want you to be aware of it that there are two primary ways we worship. And the first is this, you worship individually. Did you know that you completely by yourself can have an experience where you center your focus, where you engage your mind and your heart in an expression of gratitude towards God who loves you? Think about it. Driving down the road on any given day. You got a 20 minute drive to work. Are you going to listen to talk radio? Because if you are, if you're like fixated on politics and you listen to talk radio, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to become just like that. And that's not a good thing. You're going to be angry and you're going to be vengeful and you're going to be really ticked off as you go throughout the whole of your day. But what if instead, and I want all of us to try it this week, Maybe you don't listen to talk radio, but you listen to country music or 90s rap music because that is what you obviously are going to listen to. But this week, I want you to try something different. When you're driving in your car, wherever you're going, when you're taking a walk around your neighborhood, instead of listening to whatever you normally would, I want you instead to put on some music that celebrates the resurrected Christ. Maybe it's hymns that you love played on a piano. Maybe it's the newest music from uh, whatever uh, Passion City or Maverick City, whatever. It doesn't matter. It can be new music, old music, but I want it to celebrate. I want it to celebrate God and to lift up Jesus 
And as you go throughout this week, this is one of my challenges for you. While you're by yourself and no one is watching and you could do whatever you want, I want you to worship, celebrate the one who is worthy of your ultimate love. And I guarantee you, it will shift your day. It will change the way you feel about what is going on in your life and through your life. And I could keep going on that, but I'm not. We worship individually. But the big thing I would say is this, we worship as community. That together we are called to come into a space collectively with one another and celebrate God, to worship God together. Remember in the book of Exodus, let my people, not let Moses go, let my people go so that they together might worship. There is something so powerful when a group of people comes together and celebrates what they love more than anything else. Undoubtedly, right? Some of you were in Georgia. You saw the crowd gathered at Sanford Stadium. It was electric. It was moving, right? It was big. How much more then should it be when the people of God gather together. There is an electricity. There's a vibrancy. There's a love that we feel when we celebrate together, when we sing songs that echo in our memory, when we hear the word of God read in our midst and we rehearse the story of where we've been and where we're going, when we lift up the name of Jesus together our lives are shifted and our hearts are oriented to something better. And so you worship individually, yes, but I would say we worship together. And my challenge for you is that if you are able, show up on Sunday morning. If you are able, come into the room fully expecting to enter into the presence of God and to lift up the crucified and resurrected Christ. We worship together and our hearts are moved into a different place. That's how we worship. But I would add one other thing, that from our earliest beginnings as a church, one of the ways that we worshiped is that we celebrated communion. We celebrated the Eucharist. We celebrated the Mass. And the wording and the language, it doesn't matter. But from our earliest beginnings as a church, we gathered together and we took bread and we took wine and we said that this is Jesus' body and this is Jesus' blood. And it is poured out for me and for you and for the sins of the world because that shows us the depths of God's love. And nothing leads us to worship like experiencing something like divine grace. Ultimately, friends, that's what transforms our hearts. It's not an abstract philosophical argument, but it's bread and it's wine. It's body and it's blood. And so today, as we talk about worship, today, as we talk about how your life can be transformed by putting God in the place of ultimate love in your life, we want to come to this table and to celebrate all he has done for us all he is doing for us and all he will do in the future. And so I want to invite you in just a moment to get your communion elements ready. 
But before we do, I want to ask you one simple question. What do you worship? What do you worship? Before we enter into communion, let's take a moment now and let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this gift you have given us, for your body broken and your blood poured out. God, before we come to the table, before we celebrate and worship, yes, worship you, I want to pray for my friends who are watching online. I want to pray for my friends who are watching on television. God, help them to search inside of the depths of their own hearts and to ask the question, God, not if they worship, but God, today to ask the question, what do they worship? And if in asking that question they find it is anything other than you, God, today work in their hearts. Work in their hearts and show them, God, that they become like the thing they value most. And today, Jesus, may we value and worship you. May we come to the table filled with gratitude, putting you in the place where only you belong. Lord, we love you. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so now I invite you, friends, to take your elements. And, and all of you who are watching, if you are a Christian and you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian or Episcopalian, anybody, it doesn't matter. If you call Jesus Lord of your life, you are invited to this table. You are invited to feast and to celebrate and to worship with us. And so I want to pass on to you the tradition as it has come down to me and all of the others who have come before us, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room and they shared this meal together. And after the meal was over, Jesus sitting there with his closest followers, he took just a simple loaf of bread and he held it up before those 12. And he said, friends, this bread, tonight it takes on new significance. It's gonna show you the depths of my love. And so Jesus held up the bread and he broke it. And he said, my friends, this is my body, which is broken for you and for many. Take it and eat it. The body of Christ broken for you. And after he had done so with the bread, Jesus picked up a cup of wine, juice, wherever you, whatever you have. And he said to his disciples that this cup is no longer just wine, but tonight, it takes on new significance. Tonight, this morning, it means so much more. It leads you to worship because Jesus said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. My friends, this is the blood of Christ, which is shed for you. Take it and drink it. And when the meal was over, the story says that they sang a hymn. They worshiped God, celebrating his goodness. And so that's how I want us to end our morning together. Not by clicking stop on your television or on your, uh, on your stream, but by focusing your heart and by lifting up God to the place where he belongs because the depths of his love ultimately, friends, lead us to worship.
So now I invite you, let's worship together.